Welcome to Coffee and Change. I'm Bill Kirst. As a business professional, a U.S. veteran, a lifelong learner, and an active listener, I help others navigate, understand, and adapt to our ever-changing workplace and world. As a third culture kid, I call many places home. Presently, Seattle is where I explore my creativity through the power of words and images. In this podcast, we journey with our guests, gaining knowledge and inspiration from their stories. Have you ever had that moment when you're listening to a podcast and you stop and say to yourself, it would be incredible to have a conversation with this person? Well, today's story and guest is a reminder to take those moments that move you, those words that inspire you, and those risks that scare you, and go for it. Because you'll never know unless you go. And my go just a few months ago was to reach out to our next guest, Coach Matthew Hayes. After hearing Matthew as a guest on Clay Boykin's podcast called In Search of the New Compassionate Male, I felt called to reach out to Matthew directly, thank him for his insights and words, and ask him if he would share his story with you all, the listeners. that I, I had a lot of stuff going on this week too. And I was like, you know what? I have this conversation with Bill coming up. I don't want to spend too much time preparing for it because I like the organics of it. And I feel like it's going to go in some like really interesting ways. <laughs> so I was all the way prepared for that. Yeah, I totally, totally agree. It's been, it's been that kind of week where I was like, I'd love to spend time doing a little bit of you know, digging in and prepping, but it just hasn't been that week. So I'm meeting you yeah. right, right where we're at. Um, exactly. And uh, I mean, it's interesting because, you know, I got this news last night about what happened. Um, was it in Georgia where these killings were? Um, I did not get that news yet. There was some really, and I haven't looked at the news yet because I just heard from my husband last night, but there was my understanding that there was someone that went into a series of spas and gyms and killed um, a bunch of people of Asian descent. So, um, wow. and I haven't looked at that news. Um, I just heard about it briefly last night and it's kind of just been weighing on my mind um, a lot. And, and I'm, I'm honestly a little afraid to go look at the news right now. Um, because I, I know that my day and all my attention is frankly going to be taken and I, yeah, I pulled towards that and I won't be able to continue all the obligations. What's, what's the part that you feel you don't want to go into it for? Like the feeling it'll elicit or like the grotesqueness of whatever the case may be, or, I mean, I think it's that whole roller coaster we go into of why, right? Like what, what incites the hatred in someone to get to the point where they, you think that they're lessening their pain by causing pain in others and by taking the life of others or extinguishing 
the livelihoods of others. And my mind just starts to go to that, like, what, what, what were the seeds of that? And what, where does that, where does that stem from? And then you just start thinking very big picture, right? About like the whole human condition. I did. Yep. I'm in the same boat. I do the same thing with that. So I, yeah. And once I go there, Matthew, it's like, I go orbital and I go cosmic (laughs) and I don't come back to email. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And it's like, wait, if we, if we saw this one thing, well then how does that affect this? And then the interconnected. uh, Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So last night, you know, I, I was feeling really heavy from just what I heard. And then I went swimming. I swam for about 45 minutes and it helps, that helps move a lot of the, you know, the anxiety that we carry in the body. So I got home and I thought, well, what am I going to do? And I, and I said, you know what, I, I think I want to uh, just go to sleep. And I was asleep by like 8.30, 8.45. And, it, and it's almost like you feel the collective grief before it actually hits. And yeah. you're almost like preparing your body for it before the wave comes so that yeah. you know that when it does, you can still function. And that's where I'm at. That is hard. Yeah. This, this last 24 months has been such a crash course on our ability to deal with grief, I feel, because there's been so much. And like you said, there's even more stuff day by day that, that I didn't even know about, right? And, and I remember I had a conversation with a group um, when I was doing the Charter for Compassion stuff a few months back, or yeah, I guess a few months back at this point. And that's one of the things we talked about is like, if we could all sit around like a campfire together and just share the stories of our neighborhoods or our cities, like there's so much happening that is just out of our perspective, just because it just, just is. And like you said, that collective grief, that is because we are connected and regardless of whether or not people want to acknowledge it, we can feel that and we can feel that pain and that sadness and that heaviness. And it's not an easy thing to to try to carry by yourself. And I guess, I mean, I guess fitting into our conversation today, that's why <laughs> this stuff is so important to like, to, to raise that awareness that we're not by ourselves and that other people do feel things and that we can build connection and community and, and change the way that we tackle these things. Not so, independently but as a team and as a group yeah i love the the analogy you give around the campfire it's so interesting because i want to say it was maybe a month ago that i started sending out like a once a month what i call digital campfire and just the Mm. word campfire (laughs) resonated with people and they said well i don't know what this meeting is about but i want to be there because they (laughs) they miss that experience the safety of of being around something that is um, that's sort of burning in this mysterious way, but we're always drawn to it. And you also know it has the whole storytelling origins of, of where we came from many, 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 many years ago, right? We'd sit around and tell that story and that story and that story. And the first session we had was around, um, you know, I basically sent out a podcast to a, a series of people and said, go ahead and take a listen to this. And and just come with thoughts and we'll talk. And it was so productive and it was so helpful and it, and it allowed people that sense of, I could kick back and just be my honest self because it's not a meeting, it's not a review, it's not a brief, it's not a PowerPoint, like <laughs> a campfire, digital. And I, and I literally had on the back of my, you know, on my TV over here behind me, I had one of those, 
YouTube videos that shows a campfire that just like, you know, so, so there's ways you can do it. Um, but I too miss that, man. I've, I've talked to a, a bunch of my, uh, fellow veteran friends and that's one of the biggest urges we have to be around a campfire in the company of other men and just, just being like, that's it. And yeah. it's there, there it's, and it's yeah. now at like a craving level, you know, you're, Beyond the hunger. Yeah, because we were able to kind of supplement it before with smaller, less important ways that would just kind of give us enough to keep pushing through. But now with like that such big gap, like I think you're right. Like, yeah, it, it is more so of like a I need connection. Like I need to not feel alone anymore. And it's it's urgent and it's important. Like I, I had a conversation yesterday um, and it was... I'm glad that you brought up that that idea of the campfire thing, because the way that I framed it yesterday in a conversation was I had the idea to start a community well, right? And the point of it is we come together around this well virtually and ideally, and we just drop our things as a group. And we just come in. It's not a place for us to like necessarily go in depth in conversation, but just we all come, we drop our things and we go. And to have that space of connectedness and belonging, I think that's that's the big word is belonging. And I feel like we'll get back to that at some point in this conversation because that is what we're craving the most, I feel. Yeah, and even, even the way you say like to go into a place to put something down. I mean, there's, there's a part of it which is really challenging because you can't see my invisible backpack, right? I can't see your invisible rucksack yeah. or whatever, but, <laughs> but it's there and we're all carrying something heavy and, uh, you know, obtuse. And sometimes we don't even know where it starts and where it begins or how many arms and legs it has or tentacles or whatever you want to call it, but it's there. And if you can say to someone, Hey, here's a well, here's a community well. And the word that kind of comes to mind that I, I remember doing some research on last year, it's actually a Latin word, communitas, and it's the aspect of structured and unstructured community. It's exactly what you're talking about, the ability to come and go, to put something down or pick something up um, so that you can feel more genuine, fulfilled, whole, seen, whatever that is that you want to insert that, that word there. Um, and it brings me back so much so to this state of, you know, I know you and I will share a similar story in terms of um, struggling with depression. And, you know, when I talked about that yearning and that craving of, that we have around communitas, I want to use that word again. I love that you're using that too. That's it's, so such, cool. it's such a great, and I encourage you to, to look it up on Wikipedia, just type in communitas. So it's T-A-S and you'll see there's this whole history of that word. And when I stumbled upon it, I thought, this is what we need. Like, this is what the world, but again, right, what's old is new again. We need to go back to our origins of some of these words and understandings and these archetypes. Um, and to, to kind of bring it back to the, the, the story of, of depression, I remember year, a couple years ago, more than a couple years ago, I got to that place again where I've been before you know, I was there in my teenage years, but I didn't understand it, right? I was there in my 20s. I understood a little bit more. 
And then in my early, late 30s, early 40s, I was there again where I, I found myself in this place where I was like, hello, old friend, called depression. <laughs> I thought you were long gone, right? I thought you had moved on. Like you would, you would come around, you had knocked on the door and nobody had answered, so you just moved on. But the thing that was really striking to me, Matthew, was that old friend found its way into my, literally, into my bed. <laughs> yeah. That it, it, I looked, I kind of looked, I was like, how did you get here? And it was <laughs> as if no time had passed, right? It was as if 15 and 22 and 38 and 40. Were Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Right. <laughs> That's exactly how it felt. And I remember thinking, oh man, I've done all this work and all for naught. But what I didn't know, and I'd love to unpack with you in our discussion today, is how much more of a teacher that was going to be for me this this last go round. And I call it a, a go round because I don't think it's done. To be clear, like yeah, absolutely. And we're feeling it again. And this we're now a year into this pandemic. And I was just talking to a gentleman in France. He's Italian, but he's in France, and France is about to go into another lockdown. Yeah, it's remarkable <laughs> where we are in the world. Um, and yeah, I, I love the way that you phrase that with like the back to back to back. Yeah. Cause that's exactly how it felt for me too. Cause I've had it come up from time to time and it, I shared that sentiment. I was like, is this, no, it's, they can't be you. Like, <laughs> and I was like, I, I could have swore that we had this conversation already. And like you said, I, I agree. I feel like every new time that whatever sparks or awakens or creates that space, um, I've actually I've gotten to a space now where I really do appreciate it. And I'm really kind of, and it's, I know this might kind of sound weird, but I'm really thankful for it um, because I think it keeps me grounded. And I appreciate that part of it to where sometimes as we go through the growth journey, we can forget how far we've come. And that, that is a really great reminder of, remember this? <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah, that sucked. <laughs> and now because I'm in this space where I'm, I'm very comfortable with questioning my emotions and questioning the energy within me. And I've become so aware of the energy as it moves through my body. Like even this morning, I was reading um, A New Earth, Eckhart Tolle's, I think like one of his, his popular books. And as I was reading a certain paragraph, I felt this immense surge in my body. And this, I felt this like electricity and energy going through me. And I thought, I appreciated myself for being able to feel it for one and recognize that I felt something and then tie it back to what I was just reading and that idea and concept and, and see the journey of it. Um, but then I realized how often we dismiss the energy that we feel. And it's like, Oh, I did, that was a weird chill. Oh, where'd that come from? It's like, Oh, my stomach feels upset. That's weird. I didn't eat much today. And it's like, we have these energetic cues to things happening for us. And if we're not paying full attention to them, you can just go right past. So now when it comes to that depression conversation and I feel energy moving me in a different way, um, or even like, for example, a couple of days ago, I was having a really deep conversation with a friend of mine on personal fears. And I was, I laid, I was laying on the floor on my back and just feeling the energy. And 
the my friends started to label it like, oh, are you stressed out? Are you are you frustrated? And I was like, I'm I don't know what it is, but I feel a lot of energy in my body. And I just want to pay attention to it and feel it out and see where it goes. Um, so now that I'm in that space, whenever a depression bubble pops and it comes up, it's like, oh, okay, that's really interesting. Because now I've been able to what I like to call become affectionately detached to where I can appreciate it, but know that it's not tied to me where it's like, Oh, I see that. What's up old friend. I see you laying here next to me in the bed. Like, Oh, what, what, how'd you get in the house (laughs) and like have a conversation with the feeling and, and really dive a little deeper into that rather than say I'm depressed because I am not, I'm in a great space. I love life. All these things that I have really solidified and concreted as my belief systems. I am not depressed. I'm experiencing this moment with depression. And when I make that separation that it's not in all encompassing me, or it's not me, it's a feeling I'm feeling, then I can talk to it. Then I can ask it of things. Then I can say, oh, where, how'd you get in here? Where, which, what are you feeling? What are you looking for? And this is something that, you know, I work with my clients on a lot is, you know, acknowledge the feeling. Yes. Identify it where it shows up. Yes. But let's talk to it. Like if it could ask you for something, what would it ask for? If it could tell you something or what does it need to know to leave you right now? What's the question that it's not asking that, you know, it wants the answer to it's like, and just play with it and talk to it and, and make friends with it. And, and whether, whether or not we're talking about depression fear, anxiety, the ego, it's all the same approach. Understand that these are energetic movements in us. Understand that they are parts with us, but not necessarily parts of us. And we can make that separation and have more fun with our feelings because then I can I can be more intentional about how I show up and how I want to show up. Yeah, because it's all about movement of those emotions. And I think it's, you know, it's, I think it's so great that you, you, you talk about how important it is to literally have a conversation with these sensations, right? These are, you know, I've said a number of times to people I've chatted with, your body will not lie to you. Your brain will lie to you at every possible term. (laughs) It can, right? You know this, it's like, it is a pattern seeking device. Mm -hmm. It is a pattern seeking device whose entire mission is to minimize risk, danger, ambiguity, uncertainty, all of that, right? You know, this call I had earlier with the gentleman, he, he described it well. He said, uncertainty resides in the brain, anxiety resides in the body. And mm. just being able to separate those two allowed me to have the conversation with depression. And I remember for the first time in my, you know, my history with depression, literally saying to it, just like you said, what is it you want? Like you're clearly here for a reason. So what is it you want? And the funny thing is I never felt the urge to have an answer or see an answer all in one fell swoop, right? That's the other thing about being being a man, being masculine, being male. I I sometimes battle this urgency of like, I must have the answer. Yeah. I must have the solution. If and and do something about it right now, like and, and hammer it with the hammer, right? If if yeah. you've got a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I didn't do that. I said for the first time, ask the question, "What is it you want?" And if an answer comes up, let that be the answer for this morning. Like break your day into two. Like start off by saying, like maybe not the whole day, but break it into two. Like is maybe that's the answer for this morning. And I remember that sensation, and you know it well. 
The answer was, I want you to crawl back in bed and pull the covers over your head. And I said, okay, but only till 12. Yep. Exactly. Is, yeah. We're going to negotiate. Yeah. Right? Like, I love that. You don't, you don't get me all day. You get till 12. And, and I got up and I sent a note to, to a boss and to some colleagues and said, Hey, I'm not, I'm not feeling it today. And they knew why, right. They knew that my husband had just deployed, you know, to the other side of the world and I wasn't going to see him for a really long time. So they gave me grace. Right. And they gave me space. And I learned to, to have that conversation on a day-to-day basis. And then for a while it would turn into a weekly basis or a monthly basis. And some of the greatest gifts I got, Matthew, for myself was in that, in that time, because I was able to discern and distinguish the difference between loneliness and being alone and the difference between absence and solitude. And those are things before they were all commingled in my previous encounters with depression. But this time I had the space, the generosity, the curiosity to ask those questions. And I will tell you that when you can understand the power of solitude and separate it out from the feelings and, and, and anxiousness around loneliness, you, it, is, it is a boundless gift. You find yourself creating in more ways, connecting in more ways, restoring in new ways. And that is something I never would have discovered had it not been for this amazing human that I love on this earth following a dream. I love that. You know? and I, I love how you, there's so many good points you just shared. <laughs> the, I, the first one, before I forget it, that I want to make sure whoever listens or watches this remembers is that negotiation, that you are still the one in control. And whether we're talking about depression or ego, the way that I like to look at it is like, I think about a celebrity who has a bodyguard. And it's like, you always got to remember that sometimes a bodyguard can get a little overzealous and start pushing people and do too much. But the celebrity is the one who's in control and says, hey, hey, calm down, calm down. It's okay. It's all right. And to have that same kind of relationship with ego or depression, to be like, hey, 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 oh, oh okay, I know you're excited. I get it. <laughs> calm down a bit. I'm the one in control here. We got till 12. Right. Because I did that same thing with mine. Like I would notice myself doing certain behaviors or actions. I was like, I'll give myself today, but this stops tomorrow or I'll give myself two hours and that's it. Because it's important to honor it. Like you said, I do want to honor the feeling because this is what my body is requesting. Right. So I'm not going to say that my body's lying because that takes me down a whole different route of situations. Um, But if I can acknowledge it, honor it appease it and move forward together as a team, right? Because it's still a part of me. It's here to protect me. It only comes up when I'm scared. It only comes up like, and I have to remember that and remind myself of that, that it's not here because I'm a bad person or it's not here because, you know, I did something wrong. It's here because it thinks something is going on and it wants to save me. It wants to protect me. It wants to keep me safe. Hey, let's get back in bed because that bed is safe. Let's like, yeah. I don't know what's going on over there, but right here, we're good. And when I when I shifted that perspective to like, we're a team and I don't have to treat myself like some kind of prisoner inside my body. I can work with myself, not for myself and, and give myself the same grace that I want other people to, right? And I, I loved how you brought up, this is the, the tie that I made, is that your ability to get grace from others was directly linked to your ability to be honest with yourself, right? Because a lot of times 
when I go into a, even if we just stay on the depression space, right, in that conversation, if I don't know how to accurately identify what's going on with me, negotiate the terms of this situation, have more control and empathy with myself to say, hey, no, I'm not having a, a, a terrible attitude and I just want to say, screw the world for two weeks. Like, no, I can say, hey, I need a day. Is that okay? Like, it, I need a day because this is what's going on. And I know that clearly, right? And I stay in control of the situation. That's so, so important. So I just love the, the way that you shared that. So good. Yeah, I mean, it's a common challenge, this aspect of change for people. Is it happening to you? What can you do to shift to make it feel like it's happening with you? And that's that's something that, you know, it's taken me close to 40 something years to figure out. But but I'm now at this really interesting place where I'm starting to to afford myself that understanding. And what it does is it actually changes conversations with other people, um, changes how I interact with other people, changes how you inquire on on things. Um, I'd love to pivot a little bit and hear when I first came across your work, it was through Clay Boykin. You were on a podcast of his um, and his whole work around the, the new compassionate male and this new archetype. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit about kind of how you found him, how he found you um, and, and, and the work that you're doing today and in, in the work that you're doing with people, I mean, it stemmed from somewhere, right? It's, it came, it came from your own, your own story, your own walk. And now it's reaching, it's reaching others in, in different hemispheres of the world. And would just love to hear a little bit about that. Yeah. You know, the word that I've grown into and really learned to appreciate over time has been surrender and submission. And I actually had a really cool conversation with Clay about that because he was like, when, I, when you say surrender, it, he's thinking about his military background. He was like, that's not the phrase that like <laughs> get, rubs me the right way. <laughs> um, but surrender and submission has been the biggest thing for me these last couple of years. And it's required such an amazing amount of faith, belief, and trust in the universe, in my own self and abilities to show up. And it's changed everything. So like even that conversation with getting to know Clay, I met Clay from a connection to Susan. I met Susan from a connection with a woman named Shaniqua in New York. I met Shaniqua because of the work with my mentors, Jamie and Nana. And like, I met Jamie and Nana through the connection of a friend of mine, Hanan. And I met Hanan through it. And it's just like, if you open yourself up to just say yes more and to be willing to offer yourself to be the vessel, right? To just show up and add value when, when the opportunity presents itself. I feel like that's the route. That's the journey, right? It's when, it's when I think I know the best answer that I feel I hit the most roadblocks. I feel like I get all the doors closed when I try to be the one who opens them. But if I ask someone, hey, how can I help you? Or what's going on? How can I support your vision? Then it's all these things have seemed to manifest themselves, right? Even from Clay to our conversation now, it's like, I, I love this. And 
every single time I get another mile marker that I'm on the right highway, it just reaffirms to myself, say yes, say yes. When it feels aligned, right, for checking in, right? And when it feels aligned, don't doubt myself. Don't be scared because of that that first part of our conversation, right? Where the depression and the fear and the anxiety and the stress all want to pop up and be like, not you, not you. It can't be you. And it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, it can. Actually, it really, really can. And it really, really should be. And that was the that was the biggest turning point for me that I try to now help people understand is there's a huge difference and a gap between faith and belief. That's one of the biggest things that I've been talking about the last year is that faith says what I believe is possible, whereas belief says what I believe is possible for me. And what it does is it changes your can I to I definitely am. Right. I, I don't know if that's for me or it definitely should be even if it's not yet, because I believe in my gifts and I believe in the talents. And I'm so, I am so pro self-belief <laughs> because I, I don't take it as a personal thing either. And I think that's where a lot of people get nervous to come off as like cocky or arrogant or sound like they're so high and mighty. Um, and they end up silencing their belief to avoid that potential perception. And so they're like, eh, you know, I'm okay. I'm all right. But the truth is based on my belief system, right? If I believe that any skill, any ability, any talent that I have was a gift to me, did not come from me, it's a gift to me that I am now able to share back to the world. Anytime that I lessen the value of that gift, I lessen the originator from where it came. And it's like, how dare I talk bad about a gift? Like if your husband had presented you with that sweater that you're wearing, you'd be like, I would never say that this is the most itchy, worst, terrible. You'd be like, no, this is fantastic. Like, I love it because I'm showing honor for the gift, right? And a lot of times I want people to get to that space where you are different. You have things unique to you in your story. You have experiences that no one ever in history will have. Don't downplay them. Those are your value. That is your pocket full of diamonds that you have to leverage in the world is, is you and your story. And if we can spend more time there, if we can spend more time really embodying our story instead of trying to avoid or suppress, I think that is where we unlock our riches because that, that's what makes us different. That's what sets us apart. And one thing I say all the time is, I can't love who I am and hate how I got here. It's not possible, right? I can't be like, ah, oh, I love that I'm now on this stage with this platform to reach people in different countries. And be like, I wish I never had went through those things though. Like, no, those are the things that got me here. <laughs> those are the things that allowed me to be in this space, to have a conversation with you, an amazing person from across this country that I would have never met or related to if I didn't experience that. So uh, my whole message to people is your, your story is your currency. That is what you have to bargain with. That is what you have of value. Own it, embrace it, learn to love it, learn to work with it and not use it as a, you know, I think about the difference between like an umbrella and the rain. And a lot of times when we have feelings, it feels like we're standing in the rain, like without an umbrella. It's like, I'm just covered, soaked. 
But that self-worth and that belief in myself is the umbrella that separates me from those feelings that says, hey, I see them over there. Yeah, that's great. Oh, okay. And if I want to touch it, I can. I put my hand out. Um, but I don't have to because I'm dry and I'm safe and I'm good. So uh, does that answer the question? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, there's there's a lot that came up for me there that I would love to, to kind of zero in on. A couple of things. Um, one, the sense of faith and belief just like hit me to the core because, you know, what came to mind for me, and this is going to be, uh, you know, it'll probably take our conversation a different direction. What came to mind for me was uh, the story of Scott Kelly, the astronaut who spent over a year in space. And I know you've got NASA history that I'd love to talk a little bit about as well, but I think his story is one of those stories where you talk about the power of faith and belief. You know, the faith is is the aspect of the entire system that is we're going to get to the stars, right? We're going to go to the cosmos. We're going to spend time there. We're going to learn. It was Scott Kelly's belief that got him through a year plus in space. And when you listen to his story about, uh, you know, his book Endurance, he talks about that where sometimes he'll stop and say to himself, how did I get here? Like, did they, did I show up to the right room? You know? But what I also think is really awesome is in his story, he says, I cannot love who I am now without, without loving my past. Right. And he's, he says it exactly that way. You know, he was someone who on paper, he's like, I shouldn't be an astronaut. Right. Uh, scores and things like that, even the path he took, it's kind of a checkered past. There were bumps along the way, but those bumps along the way made him have fortitude, made him have resilience, and made him get to a place where he's like, well, I'm here now. I better believe in myself because this whole thing's riding on me. And, you know, I've been really fascinated with the whole SpaceX stuff recently, the history of NASA. I, I spent years as a kid in Houston, Texas, and would go to, you know, it was a dream to go to space camp. And for those that are old enough to remember, there was this movie called Space Camp in the 80s where the kids go to space camp and they accidentally get in the, in the you know, um, in the space shuttle and it, they hit a button and they accidentally go to space with their teacher. I mean, it was like a dream of mine, right? And now I watch, last year was pretty powerful to watch, you know, the astronauts go up on the SpaceX rocket and at the same exact time as these two souls were leaving this earth, my city downtown Seattle was burning because of the because of the protests and the riots. And I just thought to myself in that moment, Matthew, here's two souls who are literally have no idea what's going on on this earth right now. And they're gonna get up to the space station and they're gonna see the news about cities burning across the country. And they're gonna be looking back on this earth and they're, they're going to wish, can I just for a moment put this view in the minds of those people just for a moment? And maybe they would stop hating each other. And I just remember crying on this couch right here, Matthew, just watching that SpaceX thing happening. And then out my windows, there's burning in the city. And it was just such a dichotomy that my mind couldn't make sense of. But I wanted to just bottle it up and be like, can we, can we put this in a care package to our country right now? So I wanted to yeah. share that. That's huge. I mean, yeah. One of my favorite, I love flying uh, and just being up high for that same reason, uh, because the perspective is so different. And, you know, the, one of my favorite things, and this is just personal, like I've never talked to anyone about this or anything, is 
you know, when I'm on an airplane, I try to get the window seat so I can look out when I want. And I always think about flat tires. And like if I was because I've had this happen before where I'm driving the car and I'll have a flat tire on my on my car and it can like really just mess up your day. Like <laughs> it really can. But when I'm flying and I look down, and I think about that same problem. I'm like, who cares? Right. Who cares about that flat tire? Like there is so much more. And I love that that having that bigger perspective to see that. Because one of the things that I've learned is that the size of the problems don't matter. It's the size of the person. Right. And, and an example of that, that, you know, I love, I can't remember who it was that shared it. She was saying, you know, if I took my financial issues, you know, let's say it's a couple hundred bucks of an issue or even a couple thousand bucks of an issue. I take my financial issues to Jeff Bezos, put it on his desk. He laughs in my face. (laughs) <laughs> like, really? This is this is the problem you're dealing with? Just do this. And her point was, it's not the size of the problem. It's the size of the person. Grow bigger than the problems. And I think that's what this whole growth journey is about, is how do I grow bigger than my depression, for example? How am I the bigger per- bigger person here, right? Just like when we talk about in a relationship kind of dynamic, be the bigger person, Right? grow bigger than the problem. And that applies to our own issues too. It's like, if I can grow bigger than my depression, if I can grow bigger than my anxiety, if I can grow bigger than the things that I'm dealing with, it changes my perspective of them. I see them as a lot smaller and therefore a lot easier to go at. And and that's that was kind of what sparked the, the transition from, not necessarily transition, but the shift from my NASA focus to where I am now is, you know, when I got hired at NASA at 17, I'd been there for over a decade. And that was kind of my only plan. Like, I was like, do I need another plan? Like I work at NASA. It's pretty like, <laughs> it was kind of all I was going for um, until the depression hit. And then it was like, oh, there's some other things happening here. Because at that point, all I had really known or considered just based on my background and and how I grew up and the conversations I'd had was this isn't like a thing that you really talk about or that really matters or that is real. Like, just like some people are like, COVID's not real. Like depression's not real. Like it's, and I had kind of grown up with that perspective until I couldn't get out of bed. And I was like, this is different. Uh, And it, and it shook something in me that said there's more to this life. It was like I'd it was like my first flight. Like I'd finally gotten perspective from looking at my flat tire for 20 years and being like, this tire sucks. I wish this tire would change. I wish I could drive. And looking at that and just ruminating at it and being so upset about it and so frustrating. Like, oh I'm missing everything because I can't get to the party. And like living my life that way to taking off and saying, oh there's so much more here and there's so much more here that I didn't even know. And that, that was the huge part for me that really shifted because like I talked about with these, these traits and these gifts that are inside of us for the first 10 years at NASA, I wanted to do something. I didn't know what it was and I didn't know exactly how to do it. 
So the way that I went about it was it, it must be outreach. I want to go talk to kids. I want to be the example. I want to, you know, inspire them to do different things with their life. And I knew that I just, I, I had this burning desire inside of me that connection is so much more important than we're talking about. And that like connection and belonging is, is so much more important than, than I think people get. And it was in that depression that I made that realization. So that's why I like really appreciate those moments of my life. And it was, it was through that little part where I started realizing and stepping back into to who I am that it stood into this space. And it started getting into the literal healing space. And I was like, oh, okay, 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 okay. I'm, I'm starting to see, like when you take a Polaroid picture and you, you it start, I'm like, ah, oh, I'm starting to see it come into clarity now. And once that happened, after my first two heavy depressions, and I still was working at NASA, I said, okay, this, this is more important to me, right? This is more important to me as a person, right? Because this plays on who I am and what matters and how and where my fulfillment comes from and where I feel like I can add value, right? Not to say the technical work I, wasn't do, I was doing wasn't amazing. It was. It was phenomenal and super cool. I have my signature on a satellite that's on the space station right now. Freaking amazing. And I felt that I could add more value in different ways. And I had to be willing to believe in that and to trust in that and to discover what was that value. What is the thing that I have to offer? Like, yeah, I feel it. And what? And then that started the journey here. So where it's like, okay, we are this, and if I just use NASA as an example, we're this industry of innovators, right? We want to be the ones who change the dynamic of space and, and how we see ourselves in the solar system. We want to do all these amazing things that all really rely on innovation. And then I realized, well, innovation comes from people, right? People innovate. And innovation comes from a person's perception. The ability to see vision, to see possibility, to see something that's not currently real. I was like, okay, well, where's the person's perception come from? It comes from how they show up in the world and how they see themselves in their environment. And I was like, okay, well, if I want to be someone who innovates, it is directly linked to my ability to determine my perception and my ability to control my mind and my thoughts. And that was the link that I had been searching for for a decade was this is where I need to be because this is the thing that comes natural to me. The thing that I don't, that yes, I have studied and done a lot of research, but a lot of the truths that I'm able to articulate now, I knew as a child. Now I just have the vocabulary to tell someone else about it. <laughs> but like intuitively, I was like, eh, something, something here, right? And I feel like that goes along our, our growth journey and our self-awareness journey is just that, is, you know, self-awareness, self-regulation, social awareness, relationship building. And I, I first started with something's off. I don't know what that is, right? I'm going to learn about it. I'm going to figure that out. And so there's kind of two tracks that I'm, I'm kind of describing here is the self-awareness track, those four parts, right? Self-awareness, self-regulation, social awareness, relationship building, but then the stages of growth and learning unconscious incompetence to conscious incompetence first is i don't know what i don't know right so i just have no idea I'm just drawing a blank 
then I can go from there to, I do know what I don't know. <laughs> I'm conscious that I'm incompetent. <laughs> then I can go um, from conscious to conscious competence. That's the third part. And then from there to unconscious competence, right? So I don't know what I don't know. I do know what I don't know. Now I know what I need to know. And now I don't have to think about it because I know it, right? The same journey as, as tying our shoes, right? It took a lot of work at first and now I don't even think about it. And as I went through that journey of learning about myself, what it also arced was my ability to give back, right? And I feel like those two things work together. And the more that I learned me and the more that I got the vocabulary to do these things, the more I was able to say, hey, I'm here for you too. And hey, these things are important. Can we talk about them? Yeah, it's it's so interesting the way you describe that. I'm reminded of, for those who have had the joy of doing this, and many people probably have, but you know the first time you hold an infant, right? Maybe, maybe your own child or somebody in your family, uh, you know, they put the child in your arms for the first time. And this has happened to me probably a handful of times. And you look in the eyes of that child, and it's just clear that all the answers are already there. And then you have this sort of moment where your sternum caves in because you realize from this moment on, there's gonna be all the things that get in the way of those answers they already know. And I cut my heart kind of breaks for it. It's happened a few times where I've looked in the eyes of a, a, an infant boy or an infant girl and I'm like, can we just protect you? Cause you already have all the answers you need to know there's just going to be a lot of stuff that gets in the way and blurs it and confuses you and puts you into the unconscious and in the incompetence as you describe. And it almost seems like what you're describing is there's a point where people get back to that. Yeah, literally. And they realign with that. And maybe some people would call that a midlife crisis. I personally don't because it wasn't a crisis for me. Yeah. It didn't show up. I didn't need to go buy a car. <laughs> I, didn't need, you know, I didn't need to go spend a lot of money. Now, granted, there was a collapse. There was absolutely a collapse the year I turned 40. It's kind of interesting when that happens with, with men at 40. But but it was like I reunited with that moment where I realized all the answers already existed within me. I just have to get this stuff out of the way. Yeah. And I think I think that's what happens to, to cosmonauts, frankly, to astronauts. They go, they separate so far, and they realize, whoa, like we can try and control this all we want. But as you described so beautifully, right, there's a satellite flying around with your signature on it. But does that mean you have any more understanding of the cosmos than anybody else? No. Exactly. exactly. And when you, when you <laughs> kind of experience that relief and that mystery, all of a sudden you're like, okay, I'm, I, have, I have a lot more answers inside me. So it's just so interesting when you describe it, that's the picture I had was holding that infant for the first time and gazing into their eyes and having them gaze back at you. And it's so clear. Yeah. I don't know if you've done any study into like Nietzsche, mm -hmm. Frederick Nietzsche and his uh, three metamorphoses, but that's yeah. exactly it. As he talks about that third stage of evolution is coming back to being right. the baby, being the infant and curious and just eyes yeah. wide open to say, to question. And th this is the kind of the statement that I want all my clients that I work with to take home is ask more questions, make less statements. That's it. But if you can do that, you change everything. 
whether it's about what someone did to you, how a conversation went, how you see yourself in the mirror. Like, should you have the second plate of food at Thanksgiving? Like, regardless of the situation, if you make less statements and ask more questions, that's where you can stay in choice. Because whenever we're out of choice, that's where the stress comes from. That's the anxiety. That's the that's like you described earlier, the uncertainty and the anxiety is when I feel like I don't have a choice. Regardless of what the in- environment is, though, or the circumstances or the situation, if I can always keep certainty that I always have the ability to choose, then this part, the embodiment, never goes there. It always stays peaceful because I always know that in any moment I can decide different. Or I can decide in an affirming way, or I can decide anything that I want. But it's that it's that lack of free. I remember. Ha- I'll tell you this, Bill. I remember having this conversation with my mother at seven years old. I remember because it fresh. I, I can still feel frustrated right now. I remember having it with her, and she was saying, "I have to go to work," and I was like, "No, you don't." And she was like, "I have to go to work." And I was like, no, you're choosing. I was eight years old. I was like, no, you're deciding to go to work. And I literally, I took, it's so crazy that I, I talked to my mother this way at eight. Like, <laughs> I was like, no, you're deciding to go to work because you want to pay the bills and you, you want to keep the roof over us and you love me. And she was like, no, I have to go to work. Didn't get a grasp of what I was, which understandably, like I was a child, like I get it, um, <laughs> like distracting her from going to work. Um but even then, it was like that, that intuition of, I'm choosing this, and I'm choosing every single thing that happens to me, and I'm choosing every single situation that I go into, and my perception of it, because my perception of it determines my ability to see hope and possibility come from it as well. Because if, if I don't have that control over my, at least my own eyes, then I have control over nothing else. Because our brain, half of our brain's faculties go towards vision and our and what we see. And you might know this number more than I do, but there's like, what, like 10 million things of data that we take in per second through our eyes. And it requires so much of our brain power. And if, so if I don't have that control over my vision, I'm lost. Yeah. And literally. I think you are, you're literally lost. And I think it goes back to, you, you know, when you talk about the curiosity and the creativity, even innovation, right? You use that word innovation. What's really, what's really important for people to remember is when your brain is in that state of I'm not safe or I'm, over, or I'm overwhelmed or I'm anxious, it can't innovate. Like, it's just not possible. Yeah. Like, you can't access the parts of your brain that are for the higher thinking, the creative part, because, you know, the reptilian part or the middle part is too busy basically trying to decide, are you good? Are you safe? Are you not? Should we run? Should we end meeting? Yeah. Do we quit the job? Yeah. Do we take a new job? Like all that's happening, right? All the things, yes. And then somebody <laughs> comes to you and says, oh, by the way, can you innovate a new way to get to space? Sure, I'll just work on that. I mean, oh. <laughs> add, it, add it to the list. Right. Right? <laughs> just, yeah, just, just pile it on the list. And I think that goes back to the want versus the I have to. One of the things I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on, I believe one of the most important things that we can take out of this time that we're in in this world right now is this aspect of, of taking back that power for self. And if that power is, I want to be creative, you need to carve out the space and time and place and people and purpose to be creative. If that is, I want to connect, as you described, you gotta do that. 
if my vision is to echo stories that need to be told and need to be heard, I need to create that. I need to make that happen. I need to manifest that. And that all goes back to that vision piece that if you don't have it, it goes back to the belief piece. If you don't have it, then it may not happen to you or around you. It certainly won't happen with you if you don't, if you don't have it. So I'm, I'm curious your, your thoughts is, you know, you're doing a lot of work with a lot of people in a, in a pretty historic time in our, in our lifetime, right? Um, what are some of the things that you're most excited about that were taken away from this pandemic and these, I mean, it's pushed us in ways we've never known in our generation. Um, what are some of the things that you're probably most hopeful about? If I could, if I could pin it on hope, because I, I hear a lot of hope in your voice and in your work and in your beautiful renditions on Instagram and stories and things that you put out there always leave me in a place of like, yes, all right. Like <laughs> I want some more of that. Like, how do I order that up? Uh, yeah. And that's the, the resonance for me is like this resonance of hope. But I would love to hear from you kind of what are those things that you think we're going to take into these next chapters of, of humankind? Yeah. I, I mean, I think the biggest thing, that I can see there's there's really two things that I feel and that I'm really excited about. And I feel the biggest thing that I'm the most happy for from all of this, every part of these last years is the curiosity. People are asking more questions. And how did that feel to you? Oh, was, was that wrong? Or how should I do this? Or and just, just asking more questions questions. And I am so, so excited because the, it's sparking the conversation, right? And the conversation is starting to have more commas and less periods. And, and that's the part that I love about it is people are less rigid in their perspectives now and more open to seeing new ideas. And, you know, because I was thinking about something I wanted to share the other day, and I was just thinking about how I would write it and how I would share it in my head. And the last sentence that came to me was, and this is a comma to the conversation, not a period, right? I want to hear more. I want to know how Bill feels about it. I want to know how someone else feels about it. What do you think? Was I completely off base? Like, tell me, because if we're in this conversation together and we're collectively searching for truth, not rightness, but truth, then it doesn't matter if I'm right or wrong. Right. We're all just adding things to the to the to the gumbo, trying to make it taste right. And it's like that's what I'm really, really excited about. And and the second thing that I think is coming from this space of curiosity and these additional conversations we're having is this understanding and the importance of belonging. That's the thing that matters so much to me. And I had a conversation this morning because I'm uh, one of the lead moderators for this NASA conference that's coming up these next couple of days. And one of the parts of that conference is how has higher education been impacted in lower economic situations or for students from low economic backgrounds? How have they been impacted in a different way than students from higher means or different type of family backgrounds? And I was talking with the subject matter experts on it this morning. We had a meeting talking about the different trends and patterns they're seeing. And the thing that they said that makes the biggest impact in a student's ability to succeed in higher education is whether or not they feel like they belong, whether they feel that they belong there. And they broke down the different demographics, like what that looks like for different races, 
how if we have this nugget of belonging, everyone doesn't take the same path there. People from different backgrounds come from different ways. They're like, you know, for a white male, they get that sense of belonging from interactions with the faculty and staff. That makes them feel like they're a part of the organization. Whereas they said for, you know, black students, it comes from a sense of a peer group or a thread of spirituality. That's where they get their sense of belonging. And when we recognize that everyone's going towards the same path, right? We all want to feel like we belong. It requires me to take down my own walls first and peek over and see who's out there, right? Like I got, I have to be open to the conversation, which is one of the ones I think you've picked up on from uh, a previous chat with uh, Clay and some of the other guys, Dennis and those, where it talked about sometimes we can be the thing that's in our own way of creating community as much as I want it. Because the, the scariest thing is the thing that I want the most and the thing that I fear the most as a human is the same, connection, right? I want it the most. I do everything I can for it, but I'm also so deathly afraid of it. I would never be open or vulnerable or tell my truths, but that's what I want. That's what I crave. And I kind of want to go back to what you were just saying about when you shared about the brain. One of the things I want my clients to, to leave our work feeling or knowing more so is that you can be your own safe space. So often I feel like we are in search of a safe space to show up, right? If the environment's right, then I can be myself. Oh, well, if you would have talked to me like this, then I could have been myself. Oh, if this would have, then I could. Well, if you feel safe in yourself, you can always show up, right? If you feel like you belong to you, you always feel safe in every situation, and I feel like if we can start spending more time there, maybe that's where we're, the trajectory is heading, right? As this curiosity and as this sense of belonging starts to increase more and more and more, I'm so excited for people to start feeling safe in themselves because only then can we come to the table with questions and not statements, right? Only then am I willing to, to ask and to be wrong, right? Or to be adjusted and to learn new things. Go, 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 go. I know you have something. No, I, I didn't I didn't want to lose this. I just, I find it to be so powerful what you said. The thing we most desire in the world is the thing we are also terrified most of in the world. And what comes to mind is love. I mean, that's exactly what you're talking about, right? Like name one individual on this earth who doesn't most desire, as you're describing, connection, belonging, feeling fulfillment, feeling appreciated. I mean, all of that we could encapsulate in love. And we are also terrified of it. Like in every which way we're terrified of the same thing you could say about space exploration, right? We want nothing more than to understand the cosmos and, and, and the stars and the source of it all. And we go and we're terrified of it all. And the only thing I think that actually becomes your currency as you're describing in those moments is, is curiosity. Like it's the only thing that keeps you going. Taking that next breath, taking that next step, taking that next risk is the, is the curiosity. And that's just like, it was so visual to me that, I mean, that's, that, that is so powerful to have people here. The thing we most want in the world is the same thing we're most terrified of in the middle is, is life. (laughs) (laughs) And, and it's choice. It's choice. What you choose to do with it. Yeah. Now that you have this awareness, now what? 
Right. Because that fear comes from, okay, if I show up or if I expose myself, what's going to happen? Someone will judge me. I'll lose my footing. I'll regret opening up. I'll be added with new responsibilities or whatever the the fear story is. Like if, if we can let go of that, feel safe in who we are. Yeah. Feel like we belong to ourselves. I'll experience heartbreak. Right. And that's, and that goes back to what we started on. Right. A version of our depression is heartbreak. Right. It's, it's, it's something I remember that when I discussed one time when, you know, when my husband came back from the Peace Corps, it was such a powerful experience to have somebody reintegrate, you know, and it was interesting. One person in the relationship went off and learned a new language, learned a new culture, went and took on new, new challenges. The other person kind of preserved what was here. Right. And you come back and it was so interesting because he asked a question. He said, are you unhappy? And I said, no, I'm not unhappy. And he said, well, you just seem not happy. And I remember saying to him, those are two different things. And he said, tell me yeah. more. Tell me more. Yeah. And I said, unhappy to me means that I'm not fulfilled in some way from the inside out. Not happy to me means I'm dissatisfied with how the world is showing up. From, 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 my, from, from my standpoint, there's, there's more that it could do. It could be more for everyone. And it was really interesting. The not and the un had completely different definitions yeah. for me. But had we had he never asked the question, we never would have stumbled upon that, Matthew. And we may have gone around circles and circles and months and years about the difference between are you happy? Are you not happy? Are you unhappy? And it was so clear to me, unhappiness was like, no, I'm good inside. I'm totally fulfilled inside. What I'm not pleased about is, is how the world is letting me down. Yeah. And that's a very important distinguish. It's so important to be able to have that clarity in conversation and to like, to make those separating moments. Like that is huge, All right? Cause I can, I can think about times where I've had conversations similar, where I've told someone like, hey, could you be nice? Like, can you try to be a little nicer? And they're like, I'm not being mean. I was like, I didn't say you were being mean. Like, I'm just saying, you're also not being, like, if I look at like <laughs> this man right here, he's not being mean, but he's also not being nice. Like, it's, it's, it's just there. And I was, so there is a, a value in being able to separate emotions and feelings and, and perspectives so that you can have that clear conversation. Because, you know, one thing that you just reminded me of going back to our earlier part of the conversation is our perspective of love and how it's supposed to be. And how it's supposed to feel. And that fear so often comes from, and this is also like a little philosophical study that you might resonate with, the concept that at any moment, under the right circumstances, with the right situations having occurred, I could be completely alone. Right? If forever, for some reason, you know, our family disappeared our home got taken away, whatever the situations, under the right circumstances, with all the right boxes being checked, I could be left to fend for myself. And I am deathly afraid of that. So I spend my life searching for someone to be my partner in that. So just in case, just in case these boxes get checked, I'm not, I'm not by myself. But that's such a, a perspective of lack love. Right. And then we end up becoming codependent and then we end up coming just tearing ourselves and each other down because that's not genuine. 
Because like you were describing, love radiates from the inside out, not the outside in. I can't just show up and, you know, I come over to Bill's house, right? And I'm like, I don't feel that loved here. That, that's not how it works. Like, <laughs> I can't just show up and love just pours on me. Love is a, is a personal moment-to-moment decision to search for and to give out. Because when I do it that way, all right, and I'll give an example. I just had a, a, a fun trip with a friend of mine the last couple of days. And when she got back home, she asked the question, we did like a recap, which a lot of people do after trips. Like, hey, how was your trip? Like, we talked about it. And she, I asked like, hey, how was your trip? And she was like, you know, this was a little frustrating. This part was kind of annoying. I didn't really like this. And I was like, oh, okay, I, I, cool. I didn't know. And she was like, really? How was your trip? I was like, it was fantastic. I had a great time. Like, every single moment of every day. And she was like, what? How? And it's this perspective that we're talking about, right? Because every single day and every single moment, I was looking for ways to show love. So what was my experience? An extremely loving experience. I can't describe what her perspective was, but (laughs) I do know the end result. Um, So when when we understand that, and when I understand that, you know, I can counteract these feelings of sadness. I can counteract these feelings of depression. I can counteract this moments of loneliness by choosing to intentionally show up with a foundation of love and with an action towards doing something, right? I talked about this last night with my mentors, the, 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 the middle piece between a goal and a dream is action. That's it, right? And if I can take action towards living the life I want, right, then it can come. I posted about this morning. I don't know if you saw it. I said that in order to enjoy life, you must first be in joy, right? I, I, in I can't, a state of joy. And that's a frequency. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like I can't enjoy something if I'm not enjoy myself. Like it doesn't make, I can't walk into a, a Chuck E. Cheese and be pissed off and like, this place sucks. It wasn't fun at all. Well, no, it was me. It was my perspective. It was my approach. And am I willing to change my approach? That's the scary question for a lot of people. It was for me, at least. That was a scary question because I didn't know who I would be if I wasn't who I said I was. And that was hard. Right. And that's so that's so powerful because that's the aspect of what I think is falling around all over right now, right? You know, if I'm not willing to be what I was, who am I going to be? And and we're in this really opportune time right now where we're watching structures fall, institutions fall, paradigms fall, archetypes fall. What if that's all who I was? Then who am I? Right. And this is where this is where it gets really interesting. And this is why I'm so glad that you're in this space helping people walk in this, because I've always believed there's going to be a hand full of people around who have kind of done this work, right? Have done the the negotiating that you and I have done, have gone to the dark places, have spent the time there. And at some point, there's a lot of other people around you and me and others who are going to wake up and realize, oh man. <laughs> How do I do this? <laughs> How do I do this? Like what? And, and they're going to turn and they're going to look at a lot of other panicked faces. And in that crowd, amidst that crowd, there's going to be a Matthew or a Bill or a Brian or a Joy. Or, and they're going to be like, what do they got going on? I want to go near them because they don't look panic stricken. They look pretty calm. They look like they're taking in the environment and they're taking action. So I'm going to gravitate towards them. And that's why I'm so glad that you landed where you did so many years after starting on this path 
and you're helping people and you're doing the work that you're doing. So I, I just thank you for, for, for following that inner flame and, and letting it land you where you're at now to help so many I, people. I appreciate that greatly. And, you know, whoever is listening in, I would say to follow that same advice that you just gave because we all yeah. feel it, right? We all know that there's a, there is that inner knowingness. There is that inner spark of, is this where I should be? Or what is the thing that I'm just really, that just feels so natural to me? What is that? And am I willing to actually just go for it for once? Yeah, that's right. If I could be unbridled, if I could be untamed, yeah. if I could be untethered, what would I do? Yeah, exactly. What, what would the life that I want to live look like? Mm-hmm. And will I go for it? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for this. So last of course, last question, where can people find out more about you? Where can they connect with you? I'm hoping there's a lot of ears and hearts that hear this and say, I'm, I'm jumping. And I'm going to, and my first jump is going to be called Matthew. <laughs> so I am coach Matthew Hayes everywhere.com um, at Instagram on Facebook. Very simple for everyone. Coach Matthew Hayes. Yep. Thank you so much, Matthew, for your time. This is great. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Bill, for, for your heart and for creating this space, right? Because like we talked about, I can't love where I am and hate how I got here. But by loving how I got here, I can create new. And and I think that's what you're doing in these in these rooms and in these conversations is taking where you came from, using it as fuel. And you, you know, one of my favorite Sufi sayings is, you know, you can't let God in until your heart breaks. Like your your heart has to break for God to enter it. And when I started to appreciate the breakings of my heart, and I started to see it that way of every time my heart breaks, it's an opportunity to get closer to God or to let more light in through the cracks. That changed everything. So I thank you for being that example for people of what that can look like, of how you can have a hard journey or have a walk that wasn't the most comfortable and use it for something. So my gratitude is back towards you, Bill. Absolutely. Thank you. And you paint another image of a, a beautiful stained glass window, man. When you talk about those breaks, you can't you can't make a, a, a stained glass window without different color shards. Right. And that in itself is what paints the for those that have walked through a cathedral and you've seen the sun go through that that stained glass window onto the ground. I mean, it's like it's it's a beautiful palette. You can't create that in any other way. So, yeah, thanks for the time, Matthew. I really appreciate it. And I look forward to connecting people to you in the future. I will see you soon, brother. All right. See ya. (laughs) 